Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 55 of The Worried Writer. I am recording this on Saturday the 31st of August on a blustery day here in Scotland. Apologies if you can hear the wind buffeting my garden office. I have a great interview for you today with a very dear friend of mine, historical romance author Emily Royal. Emily has written several novels and is impressively prolific, but 2019 is her first year as a published author. She has gone from submission hell to having several books out in one year, so there is lots to dig into with her, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy her story. A quick apology for my voice in the interview, though. I know that last month I was telling you that I was slightly broken after the conferences that I've been to. Well, after that, I got hit by a rotten cold with a sore throat and a cough. I even lost my voice for a few days. The horror. And it wasn't quite back by the time I interviewed Emily. So sorry about that. It's very deep and croaky. It has been a busy month with the summer holidays, a family trip down south, and lots of drafting on my third Crow Investigations book. I have also been trying to sort through all of the notes that I took at the publishing conference in Edinburgh, and one of the many things that it's made me think about is my branding as an author. Um, I've been trying to work out what my promise is to the reader, because although my books tend to have a wee bit of magic in them, they do span different genres, such as supernatural thriller, women's fiction, historical, and urban fantasy. But there was a great session from Derek Murphy at the conference who runs Creative Indie, which I think is just creativeindie.com. I'll pop a link in the show notes. And he spoke about the importance of working out how you want your readers to feel when they think of you and how that is linked to or should be linked to the way that you present yourself or your branding. That is one of the many things that I started to think about as a result of the conference. Uh, But I do know that many of you listening aren't really so interested in the kind of nuts and bolts business or marketing side of the writer life. So do let me know. Get in touch, sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter if you've got any questions or thoughts on whether you'd like me to talk more about that kind of thing. Also, as I mentioned last month, one of the really important things that I got from the Edinburgh conference was a mindset shift. It could perhaps more properly be described as a mindset confirmation. Doing this author thing is a wee bit odd, and stepping outside the traditional route and running it as a business is another step away from the usual. So much as I love it, I hadn't realised how uncertain I still felt physically being in the same space with hundreds of talented, successful, business-like authors and small publishers was transformational. It confirmed that I'm not alone in doing this, or delusional, and that there are other people who are extremely successful, who I would like to emulate, but also that I have come a long way. It helped me to recognise the success that I've enjoyed so far, the things that I have achieved. And since I'm 
completely rubbish at doing that. It was really helpful. Another great tip that I wanted to pass on um, from the conference was a reminder on the importance of working out your core why for writing. Writing books is really hard and you work steadily for a very long time before you complete a draft, let alone a finished readable product. So to help you keep going, if you have a very clear idea of why you're doing it um, and a very clear why behind your goals, it will really help you to keep going. Something I found at the conference was people were speaking unselfconsciously about their ambition for their writing and publishing, about financial and other goals, and about their core values or their reasons for writing and publishing, their reasons behind these goals. It was another reminder that I'm on track for my core goals, that I'm not alone in designing my life based on my value system, and it was a reaffirmation that my heart and head are in alignment. As you can probably imagine, it also reaffirmed my commitment to being a hybrid author, with some projects done through my own publishing company and some done with other publishers. Again, I know that many of you listening are aiming for the traditional route exclusively, and many people would prefer not to deal with the business side of being an author at all, and that's completely fine. But for me, it's an exciting and creative part of being an author, and I'm so grateful that I get to have this control and opportunity. If you have got any questions at all for me on this show, they can be about writing, writing process, air. the nuts and bolts of writing novels, procrastination, self-doubt, or the business side of things such as marketing or publishing options. Do email me, that's sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter and just let me know what you would like me to cover. And writing plans for this month, I am going to finish the draft of the third Crow Investigations book, do a talk for a writing group in the borders and record my audio extra for my patrons. If you would like access to the audio extra and the backlist of 18 episodes, then you can sign up to support the show over on Patreon or Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash worried writer. And it is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can sign up to support the show from just $1 a month. And if you pledge $2 or more a month, you will get the extra audio that I put out in the middle of every month. Massive thanks to everyone supporting me on Patreon. I really, really appreciate it. And huge thanks and welcome to new patrons. Natalie de Groot or Nathalie de Groot. Apologies if I'm saying that wrong. Lauren Finger. Lab Rat, and I'm definitely going to say this wrong. I'm so sorry, Nino. Nino Rekvia-Shavili. I'm very sorry, but thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. It really does mean the world to me that you are willing to support the show in this way, and it really lets me know that you value the show and you want it to continue. Thank you. Also, thank you as always for listening to the show, for recommending it to others and spreading the word via social media or by leaving a review on the podcast app of your choice. Before the interview, a quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. There's Perneal Hughes, who is at Perneal Hughes, Daisy Tate, who is at Daisy Tate Tastic, and I also want to say hello and thank you to Bill Cocus, who is at WP Cocus. 
Um, I really enjoyed his interview on Paul Teague's podcast. Now, I've mentioned Paul's podcast before. It is selfpublishingjourneys.com. Again, I will put a link in the show notes. Um, Now, Bill was on the podcast this month and I really enjoyed the interview with him. So again, if you are interested at all in the more business side of publishing, um, I highly recommend Paul's podcast and I really enjoyed the interview with Bill. Another quick shout out I want to do is to the lovely Claire Sager, who is at Claire S. Author. Now, Claire also has a podcast. It's quite new, I believe. Um, I listened to an episode for the first time this month and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that podcast is called Confessions of a First Time Author. Again, I will pop a link in the show notes, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And now, on to the interview section of the show. Emily Royal writes historical romance in both the medieval and regency periods. Her debut novel, The Sins of the Sire, came out in March this year and was swiftly followed by Henry's Bride, book one in the London Libertine series. Now, full disclosure, Emily is a close friend of mine, and I am thrilled that she is finally being rewarded for all her hard work and tenacity. Welcome to the show, Emily, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hello, Sarah. It's it's so good to be here at last after so many years of rejections and rejections and rejections. It's 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 great to be here, and I've been a bit of a fangirl of your show for ages. So it's lovely to be on the other side of the microphone. We got here. <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> too. Um, before we get into your uh, twisty path to publication, which I'm very excited about, um, oh. you know, <laughs> I was hoping that you could just kick things off by telling us all a wee bit about the London Libertine series, uh, because I believe book two is actually going to be out quite soon. Um, yeah, book two should be out in a couple of weeks' time. We're just doing kind of final final tinkerings on the on the format. So, um, yeah, the London Libertines series, I suppose you could describe it as Jane Austen with sex and dark stuff, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a set of romances which are, they're currently set in the Regency period, but I expect as the years progress, it will move into uh, Victorian. They're set mainly in London, um, but also in the country, in country estates and everything. And the heroes are unashamedly alpha males so you could say it's a bit bit body strippy but um that the heroines are the misfits all in one way so the heroine in the first book she's quite plain uh, she's awkward she's gawky she's she's intelligent and she speaks her mind and she's a bit of a social outcast in the book that's coming out in a couple of weeks time hawthorne's wife the heroine is a complete outcast who's afflicted by a childhood trauma and lots of horrible things happen to her and she has to overcome it and actually in the third book the heroine is recovering from a mental breakdown so it's actually quite it's dark stuff so it's also modern issues but it's interesting to put it in a regency setting so it's not your typical frothy sparkly romance with glittering gowns and and happy happy dresses and balls and things it it cut tackles quite horrific issues sometimes so yeah that's basically the London Libertine series. Excellent. And as I mentioned in the uh, in the intro, um, we're pals. So I do already kind of know your path to publication story, having lived it alongside you a tiny wee bit. Um, <laughs> but it really... <laughs> But it's also, it's so inspiring. Um, and especially, I think, since your debut year is such a busy one. 
Um, so yeah. I don't know if you wouldn't mind talking us through your sort of path to publication. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's kind of how long have you got? <laughs> I've been tinkering with writing for a, a couple of years. So if we go back to kind of 20, 2013, 2014, um, which is, yeah, six, five, six years ago, I've been writing for a couple of years and I, I think I ended up having three books that were really, really rough and overly long. And I remember telling you, oh, I've written a book, Sarah, and it's 180,000 words long. And you kind of burst out laughing saying, yeah, you're going to need to cut that down a bit. Um, so I had these books and I stumbled across the, the website for the Romantic Novelists Association, which is a kind of UK uh, association for romantic novelists. Uh, and they, on their website, they talked about this new writing scheme which they have, where there's a, a limited set of um, unpublished authors who can join the association so they get all the benefits of the magazine and access to seminars and conferences, etc. But with that comes a full critique of a, a novel. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have some of that. Um, massively, massively oversubscribed. So the slots is like tea in the park tickets. They they get oversubscribed within about two minutes of the beginning, the year beginning. So it was March 2014. So yeah, already oversubscribed, missed the boat. But 2015, I stayed up at two minutes past midnight on the 1st of January and, and got in. And I got this critique in June of, of that year. And it was really, really positive. Um, and it was quite scary because that was the first time anyone had ever written anything I'd written because I, I just hid it under the bed and didn't even show it to my husband and kids. I was terrified of it. But I thought um, it was really positive. So I thought, brilliant, brilliant. So I started submitting to agents and I got agent interest in September of that year, which, I mean, for me, those three months submitting and getting rejections was was just forever. But actually looking back, I think, wow, that was really quick. And I got signed at the end of the year and I thought, oh, this is it. This is it. I've made it. I'm going to get a three book deal. I'm going to get books in Waterstones. And now I look back and think, you naive little fool. I just knew nothing about the publishing industry. Um, and really, so fast forward three years, nothing, nothing happened. I went through two books with, with my agent. I had sort of periods of, of submissions to publishers, waiting to hear, lots of rejections, lots of radio silence. I can remember being stressed, waiting for emails back from my agents and publishers. And every time my phone pinged, it was like, yes, 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 check it. And it was a, I don't know, it was an email from the car phone warehouse with an offer for a new phone. It was like, no, no. And I just, I turned into a complete sort of obsessive with, with this thing. And it just stressed me out so much. And then I got to the end of it and my agent, um, that the second book failed to, to get a deal. So this, this was like the end of, end of 2018, beginning of 2019. So a long, long time. And my agent and I decided to part, to part company. Um, so yeah, that, that was long and, long and torturous. But actually during that, what I did is I just carried on writing, writing more books. So I thought, yeah, I'm not going to get too stressed out about the submissions and get too obsessed with them and I was going to try and carry on writing books and what I did is the first book that my agent couldn't get a deal for I started submitting that to smaller publishers um, and I finally managed to get a contract for for that Um, that took about six months and that book's actually not out yet that's still with them to be edited Um, but I got a deal for that middle of 2018 so I'm I'm jumping backwards and forwards in time because it was a bit sort of wibbly wobbly timey wimey Um, and then the second contract I got actually came out as a result of a Twitter pitch, which was a book that my, my agent looked at it and just went, no, I'm not touching that. That's way too dark, way too violent. Um, and that was the, the Sins of the Sire. And I chucked it up as a Twitter pitch 
May 2018, I think, um, just really to see whether I could write a half-decent tweet, whether I could do a half-decent elevator pitch. I, I didn't think anything would come of it. And I, I got a like from an editor at a publisher called Teargar, which is based in Ireland. And I'd heard some good things about, about them. They've got quite nice covers, and some of my friends have published with them. And I sent in the book, and I gave full disclosure. I said, look, this book's way too violent. I'm sure it breaches all of your guidelines, but just out of courtesy, here, here it is. So I was quite blunt about it. Didn't think anything of it. And I heard back from them a few weeks later, and I didn't even open the email because I just thought, oh, it's going to be a rejection. Um, and about two, two or three hours after I got the email, I came sort of back into my hotel bedroom because I was actually away with work, had a couple of beers, and thought, oh, let's see why they've rejected me. And this email said, no, 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 we're actually quite quite interested. What else are you writing? Um, and they offered me a contract on that, which I was still a bit of a shock because I thought <laughs> the book was quite quite violent. So that ended up being The Sins of, Sins of the Sire. Um, and then this third contract was absolutely lightning fast. It was just after I'd parted company with my agent, um, beginning of 2019. I My agent was based in the States, so I thought I wanted to kind of have closure on publishers in the States. So, and there's one more publisher who I was really interested in because I had great authors on their list who were topping some of the some of the charts, um, authors who I admire, who I fangirl over. So I thought I'd kick myself if I didn't at least chuck it at them to see what they see what they thought. So I chucked it at them. Um, and then two days later, I got an email saying, can we talk? Uh, I got back home that night and she phoned me up. And then three or four days after that, they offered me a three book deal. <laughs> so actually that one was, it took a week to get a three book deal on that book. And yet everything else has been been years and years and years. So uh, sorry, that was a long round. Not at story. all. Not at all. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I know, um, Again, when you say it, it sort of seems almost like, okay, well, that will happen quite quickly then at the end. And of course it did, you know, and it's it's an absolute head spinner how much things have changed and turned around yes. those phrases. Um, yeah. Um, and there was that long, torturous waiting period while you were agented. Um, and that's, I mean, I know so many folk listening will be able to empathize with that hugely, that that, that glacial pace of of traditional publishing and how it can go like that. It's slow, 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 wait, 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 and then fast. Um, and also just again, being willing to share. I'm, I'm so grateful because it is so normal, unfortunately, um, the rejection and the submission yeah. process and the getting an agent, not meaning it's a done deal. But when we're going through it, we feel as if we're failing or that it is, it is a bad sign. So I, I mean, again, I'm so grateful for you being willing to share it because I think it's really helpful for other people who are either going through it or or looking to start submitting or whatever. Um, and but yes, in terms of the, the speed of going from um, effectively nothing um, to so we've got the sins of the sun. We've got the Tiergar and then the three book deal with Dragonblade and then also book deal with um the first one and they're all effectively out this year aren't they uh yes so this year i i'm probably gonna have five books out which is <laughs> <completely> <laughs> it's insane. So, so it is like yeah yeah just sitting there with your engine idling for for three years getting really stressed and then while up you're 100 in that half a second and it's it's a bit of a, I still haven't quite recovered from it. <laughs> I think it was a bit of a, a, bit of a shock. And, it, yeah, there were so many lows during those those three years. I can remember just being absolutely 
gutted and heartbroken with some of the rejections and the close ones were the worst because I, I mean I had one where a, a publisher from us, you know, a, a pretty half decent imprint was showing lots and lots of interest in in my book. And that must have been kind of two two years ago. It was the first book that my agent tried to submit. And actually, then my agent really came into her own. She was really really interactive. There was loads of communication, and she really started to get quite active. And they were talking about careers. They were talking about three book deals, other projects. Where is my career going? Blah blah blah. And she was like, No, no, this is really positive. And then it fell at the last last hurdle whereas the, the editor really wanted it but they just said no it's the wrong time period we're not we're not taking it and that was just that went from being just on the brink of this massive high and I just plummeted off a cliff and that was like I look back and say what was the worst day of my life but it probably wasn't it sounds quite melodramatic but that was a low um and then for this to happen particularly the, the dragon blade contract it just i kind of blinked and it happened it was it's like you look away and that's when the unicorn just drops in front of you and falls into your <laughs> yeah it it's insane it's just not this this process of you it takes you six months to get an agent and it takes you a year to get a contract and a year to get another contract it's not a straight line it's up and down and all over the place and it goes backwards and forwards and yeah, it's completely mental, this industry. <laughs> having having just been through that, is there anything that you wish that you could go back and tell yourself or what advice would you want somebody listening to hear if they are going through the same submission hell? Um, I, I can remember actually the advice that you gave me, Sarah, was, was, was along the lines of just keep at it. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. And the, the only way, it sounds a cliche, but the, the only way to make sure it never happens is, is to give up and I do remember just just carry on just chalk it out to experience write another book the market goes up the market goes down tastes change it's all a matter of timing just keep at it and you will get there and I can remember looking at you thinking yeah well it's all right for you because you're the other end of it you've actually got, <laughs> got it but it yeah it is it is true just just keep at it um be true to yourself sounds like a cliche but just carry on writing what you love you're the only way to get a deal is to just keep yeah keep writing books you're not going to build a career on one book so even if you get a deal you're going to have to write another book at some point so you might as well crack on with it while things are out in out on submission um and so long as you're getting you're getting sort of decent feedback so that you can see where the issues are that you can see what's what's good about it what needs to be done then you're always going to be learning and you're always going to be that getting that bit closer going on <laughs> No, I think that's excellent advice. And I do think um, your advice that you've also demonstrated uh, to keep on writing, if you can, while you're going through the submission hell is, is really a super good tip. I think, yeah, the only reason really I got the, or the main reason I got the Dragon Blades contract is because when we were chatting, she did say, well, we, we like to have books in series and, and a relatively rapid release. And because I'd been writing and writing and writing during this, this desert period, I already had three books which were drafted. And I think that was one of the things that swung the deal as, as well. So um, yeah, keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go back to the beginning a wee bit and ask the, the very common question, uh, did you always want to write? Yeah, I, I did. I, I never really liked English at school. So I didn't like English language. And I didn't like this kind of having to read a book that you never would have read in the first place and having to analyse the characters. So I I was never really good at that, but I was a hopeless romantic at, at heart. And I always loved little romantic stories. And occasionally we do creative writing in English and I do 
actually little medieval romances with little drawings of girls in pretty dresses and everything. Um, I've obviously gone a lot darker since, since then, <laughs> but I've always wanted to do that. And I can remember saying to um, an adult when I was about 10, 15 years old, saying, you know, I would love to be a writer and I've got some ideas for sort of romantic stories. And they just turned around and said to me, oh, yeah, I've got a friend and she's actually good and she's not, never got published, so you've got no chance. Don't, <gasps> don't do it. I can look at Right on your face. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you've slight digression. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the TV show Lost when they all they all crash on on this kind of weird weird magical bizarre island on a different, different dimension. And there's a character in there who is my favourite character in the series called John Locke, and he's a bit of a misfit in society. He's disabled. Um, he's um, he's kind of typical. Um, typical mark for con men so he's not kind of valued in society but actually in the island he really comes into comes into his own and all throughout his life in the real world people say to him you can't do this you can't do that and he stands up and says don't tell me what I can't do and actually that really struck me when this adult said to me you've got no chance look don't tell me what I can't do mm. but that kind of festered and lay dormant in my mind until 30 odd years years later um so yeah, always wanted to do it. And then actually, that's one thing I think that drove me forward during this kind of three years of, of horror of submissions. So I thought, someone's told me I can't do that. I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, so it's almost like a 40-year grudge really, that <laughs> drove me through. So uh, yeah, I have always wanted to, to be a writer, but it just then when kind of adult life and you think all the responsible thing to do is to get a job that pays a regular salary, but um and I kind of did that. And I actually love that. I love my job. I love all my maps and everything like that I do. But this thing lay dormant. And it's kind of the creative side, I think, which is my release from all the mathematical stuff that I do during the day. So, uh-huh. so yeah. And I, I was going to ask what led you to choosing um, a historical romance and whether it was easy to pick a genre. But you've just said there that one of your very early stories were quite romantic. Was it very simple to, to choose that genre? It, it was, yeah. Um, I had to. I, I read when I was beginning to write the romance stuff. I was reading a lot of crime, a lot of quite dark uh, crime stuff. Um, and there is, there always seems to be this stigma with romance. If people ask me what genre I write, and I say romance, you you sometimes see them kind of that their eye twitches a little bit, as if to say, oh well, that's you know that's kind of rubbishy cookie cutter type stuff. And they don't realise actually that romance is a is a fantastic genre and it's it's everywhere it's all about emotions and everything so um I think I kind of held back a little bit early earlier on just because I thought people don't value romance but actually people people do there's just there's a little bit of snobbery associated with it um, Mm. I think but yeah it was really easy to do romance and the historical romance just the whole thing about knights in shining armor although now my knights their armor is a little bit tarnished I think (laughs) 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 slipped but um yeah, it, it was easy and it was it was natural and I um I'm by no means a historian, so it's not like I do hours and hours and hours and hours of, of research, but I do enough so I've got a flavour of the of the period. So it's it's in no, in no way, shape or form is it accurate historically researched novels, but it does it's authentic in terms of the um just the sort of the, the period and the and the flavour and the ambience of everything. Mm. So people can really get into the story and not be thrown out of the story. Enough detail to to anchor them in yes. the story. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want a regent heroine picking up her mobile phone. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not unless it's a time travel one. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly time stuff. <laughs> So I know, um, so this year we've we've alluded to, or we've mentioned the fact that you have a 
really, really crazy year of publishing. It's a, I, mean, I know I've said this to you personally many a time that you are having quite the introduction to uh, being a published author. Um, but it, yeah. it's also true that you've always been incredibly productive in terms of your writing. And I've said to you so many times um, that I admire it and I really want to learn from you. So uh, while I've got you on the show, uh, I'd love to hear more about your writing process. So things like, you know, do you write every day um, and keep business hours like Monday to Friday? What's your routine? I have to fit it around the, the day job, so uh-huh. um, which, which that's the one that pays the bills. Um, but I do try, when I am actually drafting I do try to get myself in, in the zone as it were and I, I do try and discipline to write something every every day so if I'm in the throes of a draft I think right it's all plotted out it's all good to go I will aim for about 2,000 words a, a day um, often I don't reach that but I then say to myself if I can make a thousand which if I'm really concentrated I can probably churn that out in about an hour of, of real concentrated writing okay it's rubbish but words um if i'm really at full pelt i can do five thousand a, a day but that's normally if it's a day off or if it's a day it's a, a weekend um but i do try and make sure i just put something in every day so at least every day i've moved forward even if it's only by a a little a little amount i always sort of feel that i might lose my touch if i don't write so yeah force myself to write a bit um a bit every day um in terms of how I do it I plot like mad to the point of of obsessive compulsive disorder I have to have it all plotted out and then I will blitz it through from start start to finish so in terms of plotting I see it like a like a painting I'll kind of start fleshing out the story with like big blocks of color with the themes and the character profiles just to get some ideas and then I'll start fleshing out some of the detail by, say, if I've got fight scene in chapter 22, I might talk a bit about who's fighting who, what weapons they've they've got, whether there are any other characters witnessing the fight, getting involved, what they say, ideas for dialogue. Um, and then eventually, once I've done that, I'll have a whole mass of bullet points, which just cover the scene. So it's probably about 10, 20 bullet points describing each scene. I'll then colour code it. I mean, I'm, I'm so obsessive. I will colour code it um, red for heroine's point of view, blue for hero's point of view, green for anybody else's, just to check whether the switches are, uh, are happening at the right time so that you haven't got 12 chapters in one point of view and two lines in, a, in another. Um, and that normally ends up being about 20 pages of A4 solid solid writing. So I kind of lay it all out in front of me and think, yeah, that's fine. I'll do my character profiles with little spider maps, so the heroine on one side, hero on the other, with, with lines interconnecting all the other characters in between them. Once I've got that, it's good to go. And then I basically sit down and blitz through the first draft and just hide under a rock and write and write and write and write until at the other end, a first draft is spat out. Um, so, yeah, that's basically my, my writing process. Um, I love things like the NaNoWriMo, the, the National Novel Writing Month that happens in November where you kind of aim to write 50,000 words in, in a month because um, that's like 1,666 words a day, which is quite doable if you sit down for an hour with a cup, cup of coffee. So I tend to use that as my month for really focused mm-hmm. drafting to try and get a book, um, a book done. So, uh, yeah, that's basically how I... Uh, how I do it anyway it works only works really well for me because I just I love plotting but I know there's some people who just the, the thought of plotting in advance just freaks them freaks them out 
but it works for you. And um, in terms, do you have any other sort of tips for uh, for writing regularly or for producing lots of books? Because um, you know, you as you said, you are pretty you you outline and then you will blitz a draft, um, and then you'll write another one as well um, <laughs> after that. And um, you know, so you you do work very hard at it, which I admire hugely. Um, but do you have any other sort of tips for productivity? Um, I. Thing, I mean, things like writer's block, if I, if I get to a scene, some scenes I find really easy to write and others I find really difficult. And I'm sure a lot of a lot of people find that they get to a scene and think, oh, really, have I really got to write it? Um, and a lot of people say to me, just leave that and go on to an easier scene. But actually, I can't do that. Um, so one of the reasons why I, I do go from start to finish is I know that if I have got a difficult scene, I just have to push through it. It's like climbing a mountain. You might get a real difficult part and you think, well, you've, you've got to do that halfway up. Otherwise, you're never going to get to the top of the mountain. So... Um, I'll, I'll just push through it, even if I think it's going to be rubbish, because at least I get get to the other end. Um, I I overwrite a lot, and I do know that if I've got a scene which is difficult, I'll overwrite even more. So I just think just chuck words at it, and eventually you will end up with something that can be edited edited down. Um, and I always find, and I'm sure a lot of people find this as well, is that when I'm writing something as I'm going along, I think it's going to be rubbish, it's going to be rubbish. But I keep saying to myself, you think it is, but actually when you look back at it with a clear head, it's never going to be as bad as you as you think it is. So I, I try to switch off my inner, the, the little devil inside me, which says, you're rubbish, this sucks, you sucks, everything sucks, the world sucks, and just push through through that. Um, I, I forget... Well, yeah, what I said before about forgetting submissions, cracking on with the next book, because you've almost always got something out on submissions. So I try and switch off from that and just plough through the book, um, you know, arguing that whatever happens with the book that's out on submission, I've still got to finish this book that I'm writing that I'm writing now. So I force myself to do to do that. Oh, another thing I do actually that stops, because um, in terms of research and things, you might, if I'm writing something, I'm not sure whether it's absolutely historically accurate or I feel I need a bit more to make it authentic. I won't stop and research and look it up. I will add in, um, in square brackets and capitals, um, check the bit of history, add in a little bit of history here and then go back to it later on as well. So that helps um, helps to keep the flow going of, of writing. So if you're unsure about your facts, I will always just stick in a little note or a comments bubble to say check back here later on when you've got time because I, I always find if I get interrupted when I'm writing that really causes problems I stop and have to get back into it mm. uh, road races are great I am I am super super competitive so as soon as someone says to me right um, we're going to do a word race and we, we kind of you know, connect on Facebook or something and we're on a little message group and go right word race at two o'clock half an hour let's see how many words we can do I always think right I want to get more words out than the next the next person um, and I set the timer on my iPad and I blitz it for half an hour and that really helps get out an awful lot of words because then I'm just determined to get the words down and not worry about how perfect they are um, and that really really helps so short bursts um if i try and set races for myself i think right i, I managed a thousand words yesterday let's see if i could do 1500 in the same space of time um so i, I compete with myself as well as with other people as well so <laughs> that that really really helps mm, that's a good tip and um i meant um i meant to ask you this before when you were talking about outlining um have have you got any resources or books that you've read about outlining and so on that helped you to learn how to do it or is it just something that you've developed and, and are naturally kind of uh keen on yourself yeah it, it kind of just happened <laughs> no no that's fine <laughs> I think 
yeah, in terms of ideas, I carry around a little, a little notebook in my handbag. Actually, I've got loads of lovely, lovely, pretty, pretty notebooks. Um, and if I do get an idea, and sometimes it might be in the middle of a in the middle of a meeting um, or in the middle of the office, and I'll, I'll pick up my notebook and excuse myself, this is really bad, and, and nip into the loo. And where I'm sitting on the seat, I'll, I'll then just scratch out a few little notes. So if ideas pop in, I make sure I write them I write them down. I, mean, I, I dream a lot as well. So I wake up in the morning and, and, and write down lots of dreams. And actually loads load of the scenes in the book, Hawthorne's Wife, that's coming out in a couple of weeks, a, a lot of that came from a dream that, that I had, which is completely bizarre um, so yeah constantly writing out lots of lots of notes of ideas that you think might be good for a novel um, I'll often use ideas from stuff that I've written in the past which is I mean there's one thing that I wrote this kind of young adult thing which is the first thing I ever wrote which is just I mean it's awful it's never going to see the light of day but some of the ideas from that I've been able to poach at future novels so I tend to have a whole mass of random ideas and then I'll start ordering them into into a plot but it's, it's just a system that's that's really kind of come naturally although i am aware that the new in terms of things like you have to have a change of pace so you can't have it all at a fast pace or a slow pace um you need to have ups and downs and dark things and you've got to think about obstacles that the characters overcome so i'm, I'm kind of aware of that in the back of my mind but i don't i don't set out to follow any specific structure which is outlined in a book about writing i, I just kind of get on with it and tinker it and massage it into shape and then draft it and i, I do find um critique buddies and another pair of eyes Sym sympathetic and understanding eyes is um is, is good as well that helps you know because if, if all my critique buddies come back and go look that really doesn't work please just change it then I will change it aha <laughs> aha uh -huh, uh -huh. oh that's fantastic advice and um you you write you handwrite your outlines and you type your drafts do you, is that correct well the, the notes are all handwritten uh -huh. um handwritten handwritten <laughs> <laughs> and then when I actually start plotting things out in the bullet points, I, I will then actually type, uh -huh, type that okay. up. Mm -hmm. Then it's kind of cut, cut and paste scenes. So if I think actually, no, that scene should be early, you can just lift it and, and move mm. it in. The, in. But um, yeah, all my kind of initial ideas are handwritten. Excellent. Now, as I said earlier, you've really had a quite a launch into, into being a published author. Yeah. So many deals and so many deadlines. Um, how are you feeling having finally, you know, achieved this dream? Um, but how is it the difference between writing, you know, for fun in quotes and for external publishing deadlines? Yeah, that's where when I got the publishing contract, that's when reality struck. Yeah, because before I got published, like, oh, that's the dream, isn't it wonderful, isn't it, isn't it happy? And I have uni unicorns and rainbow stars um, flying out of my ears when it happens. But then when it happened, I actually felt quite quite low two days afterwards because it was like, okay, this is no longer a dream. I've actually got to got to stand up and do something and step up to it and treat it as a as a business and take a professional approach to it as opposed to a, a sort of airy fairy. This is my this is my dream. So. That actually was a bit of a shock. Um, yeah, in terms of marketing, that just seems to be some form of dark art, which I'm hopefully, hopefully I, I will learn when I enter the non-muggle world later on. Um, but yeah, writing to deadlines, I've, I've never actually had to draft to a deadline yet because I already had these three three books done, which was which was quite good. Um, that that will be something I'm going to have to do next year, I suspect. Um, certainly if Dragonblade are interested in more books in the series so um, yeah it might be you have to ask me that in a year's time editing um, I've had to do sort of reasonably chunky structural edits on one of my books so there were scenes that had to be redrafted to a deadline but I suppose the book was already there so I just kind of got on with it 
And how have you found the kind of being out there as an author, having your work read in a wide, you know, widely and that side of things? Because I found that incredibly terrifying. How, how have you found it's, it? I think having, um, because M- Emily is a, is a pen name, it's, I can detach a, a little bit from it. So if you do see a bit of a, a bit of a stinky review, it's, even if it gets personal about the author you think oh they're talking about somebody else I'm, I'm not her today I'm, I'm me and and when I step into Emily's hopefully Emily is going to be able to cope with it and I actually find it more scary I think having my books read by people I know because then they they look me in the eye and it's people who who know me and think yeah I can see which which aspects of you are in that book whereas if it's a complete stranger it's just a book that they've liked or or not liked so in that way it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be but yeah when you start seeing reviews coming up on Amazon and all the kind of people who add it on Goodreads you think oh blimey okay there's a couple hundred people who've downloaded this book Um, it it is a bit of a daunting a daunting thought but I think because they're strangers and we're all detached in social media because it's all online you're not standing in a a group of kind of baying readers who are chucking things at you physically it's it's not quite so horrific and has anything about the experience kind of surprised you, either in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the I think it was a surprise that actually how quickly I then came down from the high when I got the when I got the deal because then I I did realise <laughs> no I've got to take a professional professional approach to it. I yes I did I burst into tears the other day because I got an email from someone I just had a really bad review on Amazon and I got an email from someone that came through via my newsletter, complete stranger, just to say. They said such lovely things about the book, saying they absolutely love it. They talked about the characters, and they said, I've fallen in love with the character. And it's like, blimey, that's a complete stranger, has actually opened up their email, gone into it, and sent me a note to say they love a character which has come out of of my head. And I I didn't realise what a rush that would give me and what a warm glow inside. So that that actually is is amazing when a total stranger gets in touch with you to say they they love your book. Oh, brilliant. Well, having just, I'm just going to spoil your wonderful positive answer now by saying um, that I, I do want to just ask you, it is the worried writer. So, you know, I do have to ask whether you do ever kind of suffer from a sort of creative block because you're saying, you know, obviously you're good at writing down ideas, you're extremely productive and prolific. <laughs> hats off and um, but do you either suffer with a creative block or, or self-doubt or are there any parts of the process that you know stop you or, or freak you out yeah um I I'm always terrified of terrified that my work is rubbish terrified that it sucks even if someone says something nice I, I just a little voice in my head says to me they're only saying it just to be nice, just to shut you up because they don't want to tell you that it sucks and tell you why because it's more effort to say I like, it is less effort to say I like something than it is to say I absolutely hate it and this is why. So whenever I get an email back from my editor, I'm always thinking she's going to tell me this sucks. She's going to say, why on earth did we offer you a contract? You've written a load of absolute rubbish woman. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly feeling like, like that. And I, I got an email from her when she came back with the second book, she got halfway through and actually she, she stopped with her edits and said, I, I would like you to change a, a few things. And she was really complimentary. I mean, she said, no, no, you, your writing is lovely. 
but there's just a couple of structural issues. Don't worry, it's it's quite common with a new author. Um, just plow, you know, just plow on with it. It'll be fine. Come back to me, and we'll and we'll sort it out. But I interpreted that as this book sucked so much. I got 160 pages in and just gave up. What on earth are you doing? Let's chuck it back at you and hopefully you'll go away. And we never have to publish this this part of absolute rubbish. Um, so that's the, <laughs> the biggest problem I have is a massive, massive lack of, of self confidence. I have imposter syndrome. I go into to groups where there's other authors and I think they're probably looking at me thinking what's she doing what's she doing here she started writing late in life she's only just started she writes um she writes bodice rippers we're not interested in that so I um so I'm talking myself down already but I, I yeah massive massive confidence it's it's something I'm always having to having to struggle with um but what I what I do do is occasionally I will I've kept the initial emails that I got from my agents even though part of the company I've still kept her initial email from editors who've come back the um, the critiques from the new writing scheme the first time I ever submitted that book I kept those and I, I read those and say yes at that point somebody did say that my that they liked my writing enough to to actually come out and tell me and and go to the effort of telling me and offer me a contract or offer me representation or something so I, I keep going back to that and go no there was a point where people did actually think think this this was okay so just just carry on um so yeah it's just de dealing with that lack of self-confidence is a is a really really difficult thing to do um i will often click uh, click open uh, a good review and have a look at that but it's trying to focus on the good reviews and not the, not the bad ones um but to be honest even, even the bad ones i've had a, a really bad review which said um this was like one of the top five worst books i absolutely hated it and i was crushed when i read it and then um Part of me thought, well, it's a pity it wasn't the top worst book. I'd like to know what their worst book was because actually I'd probably quite like it. Um, but actually, again, the fact that it's brought out such an emotional reaction in someone that they feel compelled to log into their Amazon account and write about six paragraphs of why they hated it then actually made me think it's kind of done what I wanted because it's, it's elicited an emotional reaction. Um, and I did say to myself, way back when I started I didn't want to write books that are kind of middle of the road I know because I like emotion and dark stuff it is going to be Marmite it is going to be love it or hate it and I would rather have a mixture of five star and one star reviews from people where it's really pulled out an emotional reaction than a whole mass of three stars from people going oh it was all right so um I, I tried to and I remember that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that so when my first ever one star review came through I, I had to keep <laughs> this is what you said you wanted you wanted ones and fives <laughs> you're right it's so tough yeah. it is so tough and again thank you so much for sharing because we I do think most of us if not all of us feel the same way certainly at certain points and it, it is so hard so thank you again <laughs> for for sharing that and I think it's a good strategy definitely trying to focus on the positive on the, on the you know the positive reviews or positive feedback you've had yeah. but as you said it's really difficult to uh, to force ourselves to believe it, yeah. believe the positive yeah. thing. That's I absolutely, you know, that really got me. Um, I was sort of nodding away here. Obviously, listeners can't see, but I was nodding away when you said that because it's that's the crux of it. Is that it's very difficult to believe that positive yes. feedback. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> we immediately think, oh, you're just being nice. I know. <laughs> You do you, you do think that they did it just being nice to, to placate an author or, or you know nicer than they I feel is it, yeah it is it is difficult. Another thing I do actually sometimes is I'll look at some of my favourite books and I'll look at some of the mm. reviews for for those and think 
yeah somebody it obviously wasn't wasn't for them but actually it's that's an amazing book so it does it does make me think well at least I'm in good in good company <laughs> yeah we're not all going to like the same thing it's just I think it's just hard when you put your heart and soul into something and someone really hates it to the point where they have to tell the world just how much they they hate it it's it's always going to be tough but I'm, I'm hoping I will be um, more immune to it as the years go on well, that's that is us. I can't believe it. The time has raced oh, by. So I will just <laughs> finish up by asking, um, what are you working on at the moment, or what's next for you? Uh, right. Well, um, yeah. So book two in the London Libertines Hawthorne's Wife should be out beginning of September. Book three, which is called Roderick's Widow, I think that's scheduled to come out in December, um, and that's with my editor at, at the moment. I've I've plotted out book four in that series as well. And I've got sort of embryonic ideas for book five, books five and six, at least who the characters are going to be and what the main themes are. So um, I'm, I'm hoping to have book four written by the end of the year, maybe, and full drafts for five and six. And then hopefully I'll, I'll have a chat with my publisher to see if they'd, they'd like to take those on. Um, I've got two more medieval romances, which I drafted ages ago which I had submitted a couple of times and got good feedback but this is the wrong genre for us so I might actually maybe self-publish those because that's something I'd like to branch into I think once I've got just got a bit more experience of being an author um, built up a few more newsletter subscribers um, just got a bit more of an idea about what the marketing thing is then I might actually give that a go myself. <laughs> fantastic and where can people find out more about you and your books oh right um i've got a website which is www.emroyal.com um i can be found on twitter at eroyal author um and there's a well, my website's got a link to a newsletter as as well so um yeah that's how people can find me fantastic well I'll put all the links in the show notes but thank you so much for that um it was lovely to speak thank to you. you Sarah it's been so wonderful to chat to you as well thanks for listening today for show notes and links head to worriedwriter.com if you'd like to connect find me on twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag worriedwriter see you next time